Good morning, North Star. How are we this morning? We got to come to church and the sun was out today. That was refreshing. It was springtime. Hey, if you guys would do me a favor and stand as we enter in today. If you're in the cafe area and want to come on in as we get started today, um, I just invite you as we enter in, maybe just uh, prepare your heart to put yourself in a posture of arms out. Maybe close your eyes if you need to um, as we enter in this morning. Oh, Father, we thank you. Father, we come before you this morning and we just, in gratitude, we thank you for having us here in this room. Lord, no matter the week that we've had, that we are here in this building with friends, with family, with fellow brothers and sisters, and we give it to you this morning. We thank you. We lift our song to you, and we honor you in this place this morning. Come, Lord Jesus. Sing, I choose this day. I choose this day to be grateful,
Chosen me, oh, you love. 
Lord, think, thank you that we just keep going with you. That you give us the strength to keep going. Father, thank you for the faith in this room. Would you be bold and raise your hand? Can we pray for you? 
Awesome. Okay, I'm expectant. I'm so expectant. So anyone around you, so I want you to pretend like, not pretend like, I want you to know you have the authority, like the ring of authority um, that, that, that God has given you to pray and declare. We have all authority in heaven and on earth. That earth is all created things. And so bodies are created things. So again, raise those hands if you want to receive prayer if they're down. And if you're around those people, I want hands uh, around. Please get, ask for permission to lay a hand on first. Um, but ask and, and put a hand on. Maybe even say like, hey, it's my shoulder. It's my toe. It's my heel. And if it's measurable, I know some things aren't measurable. But if there's a range you cannot do, or if there's like, oh man, like on a scale from 1 to 10, my pain is like an 8 today. Will you just say that to the people around you real quick? Two seconds. All right. Very good. I know we're outside the comfort zone for some people. I really appreciate you for grace. Okay, so I'm going to have you guys intercede and pray, declare, use the authority you have, and I'm going to speak over all of these, okay? Um, so here we go. So uh, I just say anything unclean or foul in this room, you have to go right now in Jesus' name. I declare faith over this room, and I declare um, healing over this room. So right now I speak to everybody with the hands that have been raised. I speak over every right shoulder, every knee, every uh, headache, every belly, every arthritis, um, everything that has been stated. We speak to the body right now and say, come back into alignment in Jesus' name. You have given us this authority and this power, and that's the, the leadership that we are partnering with right now in Jesus' name. So pain go, restoration come. Restore function, restore mobility, for Jesus' name's sake. Holy Spirit, come. All right, so I'm going to pause there. Prayers can be really fancy and long. They don't actually have to be sometimes. So I want you guys to, to ask, test that thing. If, if it was a mobility thing, test the mobility. If it was a pain scale thing, touch base. And if you received any, any decrease of pain or any increase of mobility, will you raise your hand and just let me know? We have one, at least one, two. This is the Lord. We are surrounded by the song of deliverance. We are surrounded. Three, four. Holy Spirit, come. More, Lord. Breathe your breath in here. Five. Holy Spirit, come. Guys, this is who we are praying to. He is so good. He is so good. Holy Spirit, come. The seeds that, that the Lord plants, the enemy will try to try to try to get the root system to be weak and loosened. So if there has been a healing here, keep contending for that. I'm gonna pray one more time as I close here. If you didn't get the healing that you wanted, if you if you are asking for more, we have prayer teams every Sunday. Please come up and receive prayer today. But I'm gonna pray one more time to accelerate what was just done and to ask for more. So once more, Holy Spirit. I ask for pain scales to come down, not for pain's sake, but Lord, because you see us, because you know us, because you search for us and you want us. You want all of us. You want our bodies and our souls and our spirits. So I speak to um, anything out of alignment, come right back into alignment in Jesus' name. Pain go, healing come. I speak to every muscle, every bone, every ligament, every bursa, every joint, every tendon, everything, organ. We just speak to all bodies right now in Jesus' name and say healing come. Thank you, Jesus, that we are surrounded so sweetly. 
all the time by your song of deliverance. Holy Spirit, come. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to have you um, say hello to someone around you. If you received healing, uh, there's power in testimony. Share that with the people next to you. Send that into our staff. Let us keep sharing that.
All right, then on Sunday, April 9th, it is Easter Sunday, and we get to come together and celebrate um, that Jesus rose for us. So we're going to have four times on that morning, 7.30, 9 o'clock, 10.15, and 11.30. If you do come to the early service at 7.30, we're going to feed you breakfast, and it's going to be yummy. So if that's a little bit of motivation that you need to come, come at 7.30. And the reason we are having um, four times that morning is to make room for you to invite all your family and friends so that you can celebrate together with them. So we hope to see you come out on that morning. All right. You can find out more details about everything I just talked about and um, lots more on our webpage. So please check that out. We don't want you to miss anything that's going on, so check in there periodically. All right. I'm going to pray for our morning. Lord Jesus, our fears are drowned in perfect love. Will you please let us cling to that this week, Lord? Um, that really hit me this morning when you sang that. So, um, God, your love is perfect. Everything about it is perfect, and we are made perfect through that love. So, Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, I ask that you be with Cody this morning as he brings your word to us, Lord. Um, just let something that he says this morning spark something new in our heart, something that we don't know about you something that we need to take with us this week and ponder on and wrestle with um, just to make us more like you, Lord. Amen, I pray. Amen. Also, shout out to Katie. Thank you so much for modeling what it looks like to practice biblical healing in a way that's naturally supernatural. We want to do that more and more, so thank you for that. Uh, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors on staff here and on our teaching team, and I'm happy to be with you in our Plus Nothing sermon series today. To kick things off, I want you to put on your imagination cap, and I want you to imagine that you are a first century Roman, and your job is a street vendor. You, you, you serve food to people, and you're camped up right by the city gate. So as people are coming from long distances traveling, you feed them, you feed them as they're about to go on their travels. And one day, as you're serving people food, you see someone kind of in the distance, and you can just tell that there's something off about this person. Seems like they're not making eye contact with anybody. Their shoulders are shrugged over. There's just something off about them. Not only that, but they're carrying a kid and they walk out past the city gate. They, they don't have luggage with them. They're not with a group of people. They're traveling alone. It just seems off. And because you're in this culture, you know uh, what's happening here. And you know that this adult is going to come back alone without the kid because this was the practice of infanticide. This was common, especially in Ephesus. Uh, if a kid was um, underweight, the wrong gender, didn't uh, deform, disabled, for no reason at all, it could be for no reason at all, they would take the kid out past the city gate and into a designated field where they would leave the child. And this thought process was steeped in the Greek thinking that I'm going to leave this child up to the gods. And if the gods so choose to care for this child, well, that's up to them. So it was kind of a passive, uh, a, a passive out. And this idea of infanticide, again, very common uh, in the biblical literature, in the scriptures. We don't have a physical example of infanticide, but we do see it talked about in a way of uh, poetry and allegory. God, as he's speaking to the Israelites in Ezekiel chapter 16, he uses the imagery of infanticide to try to paint a picture of the brokenness of this world. He tries to paint a picture of the human condition in the world that you and I were born into. So read with me Ezekiel 16, starting in verse four. 
God said, on the day you were born, no one cared about you. Your umbilical cord was not cut. You were never washed or rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloth. No one had the slightest interest in you. No one pitied you or cared for you. And on the day you were born, you were unwanted, dumped in a field, and left to die. Now, as I read those verses, we all feel deep in our bones that we live in a broken world, right? Like this testifies to the fact that the world is not as it was made to be. And maybe you feel the brokenness and the weight of the world. Maybe you didn't have an abandonment experience that led you to believe we live in a broken world. Maybe you had your heart broken, or maybe you went through some sort of um, intense loss in your life that makes you see this world is not as it should be. Maybe you experienced manipulation or deception. Maybe you've tried to grasp intimacy or acceptance, and you never quite got it. Now, I, I don't know what the reason is. Maybe you just watch the news, and you see the world tragedies take place, and you feel the weight that we live in a broken world. We live in a world of brokenness, desolation, helplessness. And in the midst of this heaviness, uh, today I get to talk about the biblical imagery of adoption. It's my very favorite imagery in all of scripture that communicates God's love for us. And before I dive into how adoption happened back then, I just want to give a shout out to any uh, parent in the room, any foster parent, adoptive parent, any stepdad, stepmom, anyone who brought in a child, spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, anyone who brought in a kid and communicated love to them. Can we give them a round of applause? That's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And by the way, this isn't in my notes, but if anyone's thinking about uh, adopting, we have a ministry here called Grafted that would help that would love to help walk you through that. But in this culture, in biblical time period, we've talked about how uh, if someone's parents die, someone else in the family might redeem them and bring them into the family, whoever the patriarch of the family is. We've talked about that. But I want to talk about the two types of adoption that happened outside of the familial context. The first most common type of adoption if you as a family decided you wanted to adopt, you'd put on your boots, you'd hike out past the city gate into this field, and you would choose a child to be the family slave. And, and this was the most common form of adoption. It was a good deal for the kid. The kid was going to die, and now you've swooped in, and now this kid is going to be raised uh, to serve your family name, to further your family business, grow your family wealth, all of that, right? That was the common form of adoption. Then the very rare form of adoption put on your boots, hike out past the city gate, and choose a child to be not a slave, but a son or a daughter. And then you would walk that child over to the city gate, because at the city gate is where all the politics happened, and the important people in the city, and the elders of the city, and you would declare in a court-like setting before the presence of many witnesses that this child is now my child, my family name, my family inheritance, my future is my kid's future. Everything I have is this child's, and this was a binding declaration in this culture. In this culture, if you had a bio child that committed some sort of heinous crime like murder or they dishonored the family in some big way, you could kick that kid out of the family. But if you've adopted a child into the culture, that was an irrevocable statement. It could not be reversed. And so with these two types of adoption in mind, read with me the next few verses of Ezekiel 16. God said, I came by and I saw you there helplessly kicking about in your own blood. And as you lay there, I said, live. And I helped you to thrive like a plant in the field and you grew up and you became a beautiful jewel 
And then the verses after this, it switches from an adoption rescue analogy over to a marriage covenant analogy, which we're gonna get into next month, the marriage covenant analogy. But this adoption rescue analogy, I hope the weight of it isn't lost on you, that God saw us at our worst, like a bloody baby left in the field. No way we could convince him to love us, no reason for him to love us, but his great mercy. He decided to adopt us and invite us into his redemptive story. I hope that's not lost on us today, how vast his love is for us in this beautiful just picture. In this adoption analogy, it's all over scripture. We read about it in Ephesians chapter two uh, earlier this week in our scripture reading plan. Uh, we read about it in uh, Romans chapter eight. Everyone loves Romans eight, right? That's a lot of people's favorite chapter of the whole Bible and for good reason. But I wanna look at Romans eight through this lens of adoption with a few of these verses. So starting in verse 14, Paul said, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. You've not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And so Paul couldn't make it any more clear here. You're not adopted to be a slave to earn God's love and affection. No, you're adopted as a child. And his spirit testifies with our spirit. Because of our position in Christ, we now get to call God the most intimate form of father. We get to call him Abba. And all of this, all of this imagery, it takes us to our main passage today in Galatians chapter four. We've been in our Galatians plus nothing sermon series. Uh, so read with me, Galatians four, verse four. It says, when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you're his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, you're made also an heir. I love this imagery. I'm pumped up. I hope you're pumped up. This is such a beautiful way for God to display his love. Can I get an amen? Like this is good stuff, right? Come on, this is good stuff. All right, calm down, calm down. Because the very next verse, very next verse, verse eight, Paul says, formerly, when you didn't know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather you're known by God, meaning God knows you, sees all of your sins, sees all of your brokenness, knows and loves you anyways. How is it that you turn back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Paul started out so beautifully, like all this poetic imagery, and then he switches one sentence, major switch. He brings down the hammer. He's trying to communicate something to the Galatian church here, and we've been studying this. It's the same problem we've been studying for the past, the past few weeks. Here was the problem. The Galatian church, they found their righteousness in Jesus. It was Jesus plus nothing else. That was what they believed. So they found they, they were adopted by God in the family. But then other people started swooping in and giving them ulterior messages. Messages like, yeah, you're adopted by God, but you also need to do X, Y, and Z in order to earn God's love. They were convincing the Galatian church to leave their positional adoption as children 
and to go back into their position of slaves. And for the Galatian church, it was that they were tempted uh, to follow the law in a way to make God love them again. That, that, that's how they found themselves operating. They left freedom and were stepping back into slavery. And this problem of leaving freedom and stepping back into slavery isn't a new problem at all. It's a problem as old as time. Uh, we see it in the very first few chapters of the Bible, Adam and Eve, they leave the freedom of being with God fully in his presence to, to pursue where they thought freedom was found. And then in the next book of the Bible, Exodus, uh, God's people were literally in slavery. God brings them out of slavery, brings them into the wilderness. He's traveling with them, leading them uh, cloud by day, fire by night to the promised land. And the, the Israelite people started to get twisted thinking. They started to convince themselves things were actually better when we were slaves, they told themselves. It, you know, they said, at least when we were slaves, we had a greater variety of what it is that we ate, or at least we didn't have to walk so much through the wilderness and there's sand everywhere. They started to convince themselves it was actually better in slavery, even though they were treated like less than human, worked till they died and then replaced with someone else. They were convinced that that's where freedom is found. They were giving into a comfort and a control issue, right? It, for them, they knew they would be treated like garbage, but at least it was predictable. At least they knew it was coming. And the bad news and the sad news is we're not that different from them, right? We'll often find ourselves going back to unhealthy relationships, destructive sin patterns, just things in our life going back to an abusive relationship, uh, not because it's where freedom is found, but because we convince ourselves this may be chaos, but at least I know it's coming. At least I know where I'm headed. And we find ourselves walking back out of freedom. And we see this imagery talked about later in the Galatians 4 passage. Paul uses the example of Sarah, the free woman, versus Hagar, the slave. It's an Old Testament uh, story. And Paul is basically asking, which one do you want to be? Like, what are you going to make your life about? Are you going to step into freedom? Are you going to stay in slavery? Which one do you want to be? Go check that out when you get time. Read that on your own. I also see this dynamic of freedom and slavery, this dynamic of adoption, I see it talked about through the wording of Jesus, uh, specifically in the parable of the prodigal son. Now, many of us know this story, we're aware of this story. There was, young, there was once a young son who went up to his dad and said, I want my family inheritance. He was basically saying, dad, I wish you were dead. And so the here was the problem is the son, he thought freedom would be found in instant gratification and pleasure. So he wanted to go and he wanted to party and spend money on prostitutes and all of that. He thought that's where freedom was found. So he goes to his dad, his dad gave him the money and the son left his father's house. And in his father's house, there was goodness, there was security, there were blessings with being in the father's home, but he left that. And for all intents and purposes, this would have been a prime example of a family who disowns their child after they commit some sort of disrespectful act like this, right? So for all intents and purposes, this guy's out of the family. He goes off, blows all the money, finds himself broke, but trying to work, trying to support himself, but a famine hits the land. So he's starving and he's in the mud and he's at the lowest of low, at the worst of worst. And the son comes to his senses and he thinks to himself, even my father's servants are treated better than I am. So he starts walking towards his father's home. And here's what he was thinking. It's verse 18 and 19 of 
uh, Luke 15, the son, he said, I'm going to set out and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So the son, he knew he wasn't worthy of being adopted back into the position of sonship. He was saying, let me earn it. Let me work for it. Let me be a servant to you. Let me be a slave. And if you guys know the story, you know that the father saw his son a long way off and ran to him, embraced the son, wouldn't entertain this kind of language at all. The father immediately started bringing the son back into the position of sonship. He said, get him the family robe and get him the ring and get him the shoes and slaughter the fattened calf because my son was gone and now he's back. And before the presence of many witnesses, the father started to declare to everyone at that party, this is my son. He's grafted back into the family. And so it begs the question for all of us, in what way are we willingly stepping out of freedom, stepping out of our position as sons and daughters and stepping back into slavery? There's a lot of different layers to this on the action layer, on the first layer, I guess. Um, if, you're, if, you're, if you've given your life to Jesus, uh, but you still find yourself stepping back into old habits and ways, stepping back into sin and destructive patterns, stepping back into unhealthy relationships, then we invite you like the father, or like the young son, to go back to our Father's house. He, he's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. And He wants to partner with us to pursue freedom. That's what God wants for you. He wants to help you drag your sin into the light so it loses its power over you. He wants to deal with it. God's not intimidated by our sin. He's not shocked by it. And He wants to, in community, handle it. And when we confess our sin, when we deal with it, we realize it, it doesn't have that power over us. And it's not the big deal we were making it out to be. God wants to deal with it with us. And here's the deal. God hates our sin, right? Like God absolutely hates our sin because sin is anything that separates us from him. And since we're God's love objects, since we're God's love affection, of course, he's going to hate anything that gets in the way of that, which he loves. And I don't know if you've ever had the unpleasant experience of seeing somebody you love relapse or go back to destructive patterns, things that break them down, that break other people down. And I don't, I don't know if you've seen someone you love do things that hurt themselves, but it's gut-wrenching and it's heartbreaking. So of course, God wants more for us. He, he knows that we were wired and designed for freedom. He wants to help us step into that. So that's the first layer I want to talk about. The next layer I want to talk about is our identity. I want to talk about the thought life. Um, unfortunately, uh, our identity can made up of a lot of different voices that kind of make up who we are, how we see ourselves, and how we relate with the rest of the world as a result of how we see ourselves. And uh, this isn't a full list, but, but here's some different parts of our identity. First off, there's some factual truths about us uh, that we can't really change, like my name is Cody, I'm a white male, I'm 5'10 on my best day, realistically I'm 5'9. Um, these are factual things about myself can't change them. Another aspect of our identity is what other people say about us, right? And the Bible says that through the tongue comes life and death. We have the ability to break people down or build people up. Life and death is found in the tongue. And, and for most of us, um, your greatest moments or your deepest wounds typically come from what other people say about us. More on this in a moment. 
Another aspect of our identity is our core lies. Our core lies are perceived parts of what we believe about ourselves, likely because of shame. Things like, I am my sin, or I am my shame, I am my past regrets. Or I am destined to repeat the broken parts of my family history. I'm going to be just like my mom, just like my dad, just like my aunt, just like my uncle. These are core lies. Or nobody likes me for me. They only like me because of X, Y, Z. These are core lies that we believe about ourselves. And on our worst days, that's where we're tempted to get our identity from, is our core lies. That on our worst days, that's likely what we operate out of. And then uh, the next one, um, I think, is temporary identities. Uh, I also call it fragile identities. These are things that are often good, and we try to get our identity out of them, but, but they leave us empty-handed because they're fragile. And so these can be things like getting our identity from our work and how much money we make, how high we climb the corporate ladder, how good of grades we get. We might be sky-high one day and just devastated the next day because that's shaky ground. That's not going to last. We could be tempted to get our identity from uh, our, our, our family or our relationships, our spouse, our kids. And not only is that unfair to our spouse and our kids and our relationships and our life, because your kids, your family, your spouse, they can't fill you, they can't completely complete you, they can't give you what God can. So that's not only an unfair dynamic, but you're not promised tomorrow and neither is your family. That's a hard place, that's a fragile place to get our identity from. Uh, we could be tempted to get our identity from athletics, and you could have a career-ending injury tomorrow. It's, it's shaky ground. We could be tempted to get our identity from morality and how good of a Christian we are, right? How well we operate, getting over our sin, getting over our addiction. And that's shaky ground. You might do good for a while, but the next time you sin, it's all going to feel like it falls apart. These are shaky places to get our identity from. We as humanity, we often play this invisible game of trying to impress other people, of trying to measure up, and unfortunately from getting our identity from all of these different places. And imagine what it would look like in your life if you just said, I'm sick of it. I I'm exhausted. I can't do it anymore. I've been let down again and again, and I'm so ready to step into who Jesus says that I am. W what if we trusted the truth of what God says about us and he says, you're a worthy child because I say you're worthy and I'm the one with authority. Like, what if we believed that authority and then we lived a reckless life because we serve a God who so recklessly loved us? How would that change our lives? How would that free us up in here today if we focused on these words of truth? Because here's the deal. Uh, the truths of God are more powerful than even, even other truths in our life. They make other truths peril in comparison in terms of who we are. God speaks with so much authority when he speaks things happen, right? He's like, let there be the earth, let there be the light, darkness, let there be water, separate it from the land, let there be animals. When God speaks, things happen, right? And this is the same God who's spoken over our lives. You are a crown jewel in my possession. Uh, I could never forget you. I've engraved your name on the palm of my hand. These are the words that God speaks over our life, and he speaks it but he also acts it. He shows it with his actions. These are the words God speaks over us. And even on our worst days, even on the days where we operate out of our brokenness, may we remember that God met us in our worst. When we were dead in our transgressions and sins, having no way to help ourselves, God found us like a bloody baby 
left in the field to die, and because of his mercy and compassion, he chose to bring us in. He chose to give us a family name, chose to give us a new future. And so the identities that we believed about ourselves, uh, they, they weren't given to us in one day, it was likely a lifetime of how we see ourselves and how we operate from that identity. It's probably not gonna take just one day to completely change that identity. Uh, it's gonna involve us pursuing freedom, right? And, and we have to do that together. We need to link arms. God has wired us to pursue freedom together. It's gonna involve us speaking life into one another, into your family. It's gonna be a pursuit. And some days we're gonna win and some days we're gonna lose. I, I had a guy uh, after the 9 a.m. service, he showed me, or actually he didn't show me, he told me word for word. Uh, he, he came up with a declaration statement for his family. Uh, and he had his kids memorize it. He had his grandkids memorize it. And it's statements. Uh, it was statements like, I've been chosen. I'm anointed and sealed. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm a saint. I'm seated in the heavenlies with Christ. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. This is the heritage I have as a child of the most high God. He, on behalf of his family, this guy's doing war. He's trying to infuse into his family who they are in Christ. Does anyone want freedom today? Like I, I, want, I want more of that. I want us to step into that. And I wanna, I'll invite the band out. Um, freedom is found in the gospel. Uh, most of you have heard the gospel many and many a times. I want us to see the gospel through the lens of adoption. And so just, just listen, read with me. Um, or not read with me, it won't be on the screen. Anyways, just listen. All right, the radical truth is that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus went outside the city gate. He was the only one true biological son of God, and outside the city gate, he was abandoned by his father. He hung up on the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this one true son of God, he was abandoned in the presence of many witnesses so that many outsiders, you and me, who were dead in our transgressions and sins could be ushered into the family. That's the truth that we stand on. That is who we are in Christ. That's him speaking not only with words, but with actions as well. And so we're gonna respond and uh, we're gonna have prayer teams up front here. If you want to pursue freedom, if you're dealing with any of these core lies in your life, if you're ready to link arms, come get prayer. Let them speak words of truth over you. Let them go to battle with you and on your behalf. If you're in this room and you haven't given your life to Jesus, come up. We'd love to pray over you uh, for that. We're also gonna have communion. Communion is for anyone who's a believer in Christ, and it's represented by bread and juice. The body uh, broken is represented by the bread. The juice is his blood poured out on our behalf. We take communion to remember his sacrifice for us, that he was willing to be abandoned, willing to be struck down, taking our sins on himself so that we could be made right with God. We're also gonna worship. We're going to sing a song called Abba. And again, we're declaring that this is the position we have with God, our creator. He's not just our creator, not just our savior. He's our intimate father who we get to come to with anything and everything in our life. So would you stand and pray with me? God, would you help us to step into who you say we are? 
We've listened to so many other voices for so long and we've entertained things we shouldn't entertain. We've done things we shouldn't done and we want to come back under the fold of our Father's house. We thank you that you're gracious. We thank you that you're merciful. We don't deserve it at all. God, we marvel in your grace over us. We thank you that you are our Abba Father. It's in your name we pray, amen.